Welcome to the Effortless English Show with the world's number one English teacher, AJ Hogue, where AJ's more than 40 million students worldwide finally learn English once and for all without the boring textbooks, classrooms, and grammar drills. Here's AJ with a quick piece to help you learn to speak fluent English effortlessly. I'm AJ Hogue, the author of Effortless English, Learn to Speak English Like a Native. Go to EffortlessEnglishClub.com My audiobook is free for you. I'm giving you my audiobook. It's worth $20. You don't have to pay $20 because I'm giving it to you as a free gift. My whole audiobook. Audiobooks are usually kind of expensive. But I'm giving you my audiobook for free. You just go to EffortlessEnglishClub.com slash book. EffortlessEnglishClub.com slash book. Enter your email on that page and you will get all, all of my audiobook free. I'm giving it to you for free. That's worth $20. My gift for you. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. talking to you from you know where I am right Japan the great wonderful country of Japan in the great city of Osaka Osaka Japan I'm talking to you from the south part South Osaka which is where we live Weather update. Just helping you understand Fahrenheit. That's why I give you the weather updates. Just so you can understand that system. Because most people in the world use Celsius. But in America they use Fahrenheit. If you're going to travel to America or look at weather in America. The temperatures will be in Fahrenheit usually. So I understand it can be confusing. Because Celsius was confusing for me for, for a while. Now I'm used to it. But in the past... I was confused by it. Today is, I think, 87 degrees. 87 degrees Fahrenheit in Japan. So what is that? Is that super hot? Is that really warm? Is that cold? What is that? 87. Do you remember? Well, 87 is very warm, we could say. Very warm. It's kind of hot. I'm wearing shorts. I've got a short sleeve shirt on. It feels like summer. But it's not super hot. Like really hot is over 90. So it's just a little bit cooler. Right? This is our pattern in the last mm, couple weeks, I guess. Right? We're getting at the end of August. Usually in the northern hemisphere, we get into September and the weather starts to get a little cooler. The summer is ending. We're getting towards the end of the summer now. Getting towards closer to the early fall, which is a really nice time of year in Japan and in North America, too. The Matrix. VIP members. I'm going to do my first Matrix movie lesson for you soon. Soon I'll do it. 
I've been talking about The Matrix so much, I realized, hey, let's do a movie technique lesson. Lessons. I'll do more than one. To teach you the, the English from The Matrix. Why not? It's a cool movie. It has a, a very cool meaning underneath it that is very closely connected to our topics here on the show. And it's just a cool movie, honestly. I like it. So let's do it. Why not? Going to do it for VIP members. What I'll do is I'll we're get, we're making a new uh, website system for VIP members. As I mentioned, we're getting closer. It's al- it's almost done. the The basic uh, setup, the basic programming is almost finished. Then we got to do some testing and a few other things. But we're getting close. We're probably another month away, something like that. With our new VIP area, it'll be on the same website. It's the same website. We're just changing the design a little bit and changing a little bit of the programming. That's all. But when we get the new uh, VIP area finished, there'll be a new section called Extras. Extras, or I think think that's what we're going to call it, Extras. And in the Extras section, that's where I will put extra and just free bonus lessons for VIP members just extra stuff that's where I will put the matrix less the matrix lessons and I'll, I'll send you emails to remind you about this with links and everything so don't worry about it if you're a VIP member don't worry but anyway I'm planning to do it soon I'll probably go through a lot of the movie now the Matrix, of course, is is also partially an action movie. There's lots of sections in the movie where there's a lot of fighting and not much talking. For the lessons, I will skip those sections. I'm not going to... <laughs> we're not going to watch the whole movie. There's no point of that, right? My, the point is to learn the English. So I will... I will choose uh, kind of lots of the major sections of the movie that have talking because we're doing it to learn English. So that's coming for VIP members. I'll probably record that first lesson soon, but I've got to wait until the new uh, the new area on our website is finished. So you're probably about a month away, VIP members. However, VIP members, you will be getting an email from me this week. So watch your email because I'm going to send you an invitation, information, the schedule for our live teleseminar coming up soon. So you need to watch that. And I'll, I also, in the email, I will give you a discount code. A special discount code just for VIP members. It's a discount code for my pronunciation course. Because the pronunciation course is a great... It's a great course to add to VIP. You can do both at the same time. So I'll give you a nice discount on that. Look for the discount code VIP members. Also coming in an email this week. Just watch your email, VIP members. The Matrix. The Matrix, a prison for your mind. And of course, this movie, it has, it's given us, popular culture, it's given us 
uh, in in American English, for example, a lot of great idioms and metaphors because so many of the ideas of that movie connect to our cultural situation, our media situation, which is why that movie uh, remains so popular and meaningful. Now that movie sci-fi, so it's uh, you're using it that as a metaphor, but in our modern world, the Matrix is really the schools plus the media. That's what creates the prison for our minds. It's the schools plus the media. And see, they work together. You have to understand they work together. If you think about it, like, why do so many people believe the lying media, the fake media? Why do they just accept it? Why do they just turn on CNN and, uh, and believe what they're told when it's obvious lies again and again and again? They say something and then the next day, this just happened this week, some guy on CNN said two different things. Supposedly uh, about uh, President Trump and he, he was caught doing something illegal. And then the next day, the very next day, it was shown that they were, it was 100% lying. The source they used, right, the, the person they said could confirm, came out and said publicly, no, no, this is wrong. CNN's lying. That's wrong. I never said that. I never said that. That's not true. And this happens with CNN all the time. And there's just one, CNN's, I'm just using CNN as an example because they're probably the worst. They're, they lie the most. They don't even try to get anywhere close to the truth, but they all lie. All those big corporate news, uh, TV, magazines, newspapers, they all lie. Because remember, they're all owned by the same six companies. Right? It's just a, it's an illusion. Again, this is the Matrix. See, the Matrix, in the movie, what the Matrix is an illusion, right? It's on the surface. It's one of the main messages of that movie is that what you see is really more like a dream. What you see on the surface, what you think is real, is not the true, the true reality. That the true reality, the deeper reality, is... Uh, very, very different than what you see on the surface. And that's the case, right? On the surface, from just appearance, if you just look and you're not thinking about it, you're not doing any research yourself, you would think, oh, wow, we have, there are so many magazines and TV stations and newspapers. Oh, they're all independent, right? Oh, look at all the competition. We have so many voices, so many viewpoints. Right? This is the illusion on the surface. It's the lie. It's the appearance. But the truth is, all those many, many, many newspapers, magazines, TV stations, cable stations, social media companies, they're all owned by the same six companies. You really only have six different choices. And guess what? It's even less than that. Because when you look at these companies, these six companies, you look, who are the, who are the owners of these six companies? In other words, who owns their stock? The big stockholders. Who is on their board of directors? The board of directors is very important for large companies. The board of directors choose the CEO. So you look at that and you will notice that the, the board of directors, they will share the same people. So these six companies, 
they might have many people who are on their boards that are the same that they're sharing the same people controlling the so even these six companies are in fact (laughs) not separate they're not competing independently with each other they're all tied together with the same large groups and families owning them their stock the same names again and again on their board of directors so it's all a careful illusion a lie of look at all these choices when in fact there's really not much choice at all it's actually (laughs) one big oh you could call it a cabal it's kind of like a cartel like a drug cartel right where they're all connected together this is why they all say the same thing at the same time using exactly the same vocabulary words with the same viewpoint. See, the, when you look deeper, you find that the truth is very, 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 very different than the surface. And that's one of the key messages of that movie. Right, because in the beginning, <laughs> hey, cute baby. It's it's a recorder, audio recorder. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, just doing a podcast. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> oh, cute couple with the baby. Just went by. Just went inside the coffee shop. They were curious what I'm doing. Thought I was talking on the phone. So anyway, the the message of the Matrix, right, is, is the same thing. Neo, in the beginning of the movie, Neo, he, there's an appearance, right? The, he, the appearance of his world, it's, it's our world now, kind of our modern world, right? This is on the surface, the appearance. It's, it seems like he's living... In a, in a certain kind of world. It seems like he's free. It seems like he's living in a, in a normal apartment and doing, living in a normal life and has an office job. It's all on the surface. But then when he takes the red pill, he wakes up and he discovers that the true reality, the deep reality, is completely different than the surface. That the true reality is nothing like the appearance the appearance was all an illusion an illusion is kind of like a fake appearance so the message of that movie one of the messages the most powerful message of the movie is that the appearances that the appearance this 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 appearance we have in the world that we that these things we think are true because they appear a certain way that in fact the deep reality is completely different these appearances it's an illusion it's a lie the media is a really good example it's the illusion of choice it's the illusion of oh there's so many voices and so many choices now they're not there's just a couple and even they are connected and agree with each other and are working together That's why the BBC and CNN completely agree with each other all the time. And NBC and the New York Times and the Washington Post and some uh, the foreign newspapers, foreign to Americans, the outside newspapers and television shows and all the countries all around the world 
and they're all saying the same lies at the same time. Why is that? Well, that's why. Because it's all an illusion. They're all owned and controlled. (laughs) When you go to the top, they're all owned and controlled by the same companies, by the same groups of people. It's an illusion of choice. It's an illusion of many. In fact, it's just one or a few. It's one cabal, one group that owns it all. And you will find this in every industry when you examine all the major industries, all the major areas of business. The really important ones. That it's the same illusion. Like uh, I, can, I, I can talk about the United States because I know it the best. It's the same with food. For example, the food production in the United States. You think, oh, well, there's so, f- there's so many farms. There's thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of farms. It's so independent, so much choice, but it's not true. There's just a couple gigantic companies that control the farming industry. And the farmers are almost slaves to these companies. The farmers don't have many choices. They're forced to grow what those companies want them to grow. They've got to use the chemicals those companies push them to use. It's very, very, very tough for small family farms to succeed independently. Very, very, very tough. So in fact, again, you have an illusion of so much choice, but the truth is the whole industry, food production is controlled by just a few companies. And again, you'll notice that when you look at the ownership of these companies, the board of directors, the controllers of these companies, they often are connected. And this is not just the United States. You look at most countries, you'll find exactly the same situation um, with the food industry. You see it with the media, of course. Banking, of course, banking. We all know that banking is probably the the biggest one of all because it's the banks that own a lot of these companies. When you look at who are the major stockholders, in other words, who are the major owners and controllers of all these other companies, of the media companies, of food companies, of transportation companies, car companies, whatever, you'll see again and again and again that it's the same banks. And then you have to look into who owns those banks, who controls those banks. And as you dig in deeper and deeper and deeper, you get deeper to the truth, like Neo waking up. It goes back to the same names, the same groups, the same families, again and again and again and again and again. As you take the red pill... It can be tough. It can be hard. It's not fun. It wasn't fun for Neo to wake up in that movie. It was very painful. He had a very hard, painful, tough time in the beginning of that movie, waking up after the red pill. It was pretty horrible. And so it is for us. Because we are given a lot of happy lies. This illusion of freedom and choice and all of this. And as you get into the red pill, you take more and more red pills, you wake up more and more and more, and the truth becomes uglier and uglier and uglier, just like Neo found. And there's always that period of shock and anger. It's natural. Just expect it. And it is hard. 
It is hard. It's hard to realize. And then as you start, if you go and you start examining the things we're learning from Q, not just Q, because what Q does is int- Q introduces topics. This is why I like Q. Q doesn't really say things directly. Now, some people criticize that. They say, oh, he's just being vague. Is uh, Q. I'm saying he, but it's probably they, but I'm just going to say he. But Q doesn't give direct information and answers. Q's just asking questions and pointing to things. And they say that's a weak point of Q, but I think it's actually a strong point of Q because what Q's doing is pointing people to find answers themselves. That's why some people say Q is a conspiracy theory, but that is, uh, that's ridiculous. It's an, uh, that, that's kind of irrational thinking because Q is not saying things directly. Q is saying, look at this. What is this? Hmm. What is the connection between this and this? Lots of those kinds of questions. So Q is pointing to people. And then you've got all of these uh, online uh, anonymous researchers who then do the research. They go searching for documents. They go searching for stories. And they find the connections. And they find the evidence And so the truth comes out. It is that Socratic method, right? Socrates was famous for teaching with questions. He didn't just tell his students what to believe. Instead, he asked them questions, and he made them search for the truth and find it themselves. He used questions to guide his students, but the students had to think and do the work actively and figure out stuff themselves. So then when they found the truth, it was their truth, right? They weren't just obeying. Which is... That's, that's true in natural education again. And that's one of the main reasons Socrates and his method of teaching is still uh, so famous. And so Q is using that same Socratic method of asking questions, 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 and hinting, you know, giving hints, giving clues. Uh, but always with Q, you have to do the work. If you don't want to, if you don't want to look into it, if you don't want to read the, the documents, and some of these documents are government documents that are quite long <laughs> and a little bit boring sometimes. If you don't want to do all that, then you're not going to find the truth. Q's not going to just give it to you. I think that's, again, I think it's good. It shows me that Q is more trustworthy because what the media does, they do the opposite, right? They just tell you things. They just say something. They say it like it's a fact, even though they're lying. And then people just accept it. You're just supposed to accept what the media says without questioning it, without looking for yourself to see if it's true or not. That's what the the big media is doing prison for your mind so asking those questions but as I said it's if you follow the Q stuff and the more you do and the more you look into it and the more you actually look at the the evidence the photos the documents, the government documents, the the emails, the letters from certain right from certain people in government and business, you start to get the real evidence, right? 
the picture, the truth that is coming out is ugly and horrible. More horrible, more evil, I think, than most people ever imagined. Completely destroys all these beliefs we were raised with, especially in the United States. Completely different picture of reality. But, I, I don't know about you, but I want the truth. I don't want pretty lies, I want the truth, even if it's ugly. Because with the truth, you can make decisions. With the truth, you can fight against the evil and the ugliness. But with lies, you're just a slave. You're just asleep. You know, Thoreau wrote this in Walden. Henry David Thoreau, again, one of my... I I think the greatest American writer ever. My favorite American writer for sure. Henry David Thoreau. And he wrote exactly that too. That he wanted truth. And he, he has, I can't remember the exact lines, I can't quote it right now, but, you know, basically he's saying if, uh, if the truth is ugly and terrible and hard, then give me the full ugliness, the full terribleness, the full hardness of it. I want it all. And that this is right at the heart of being a, a true and good human being. Is to reject lies, no matter how pretty they are. So the Matrix. We'll be doing the Matrix. So many great lessons in the Matrix. Now that we have finished Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I'm curious... How many of the Effortless English family have taken action? Have taken action towards moving towards greater financial freedom? I'm curious. Have you taken action? Have you done something? Uh, Maybe you're cutting expenses, living more simply. That's a good step. Maybe you're going to start a part-time business. Maybe you're learning about that. Maybe you're starting to learn about investing, different kinds of investing. I'm curious. I hope you're doing something. I can't help you too much with investing because I'm not much of an investor, honestly. I do a little bit, but I'm a very, very, very conservative investor. But I can give you some advice on business. I know it's hard to get started. People get confused. People think that uh, business, even a part-time business while you're working, people get confused where to start, what to focus on, what's most important. So I'm going to give you the key thing. And I know this because I've tried to help people. I've told you before, but I've tried to help people in my family and uh, friends like uh, start businesses. And now that I've had some experience helping people try to do that and had a good number of failures. <laughs> um, I have a little more understanding of the problems people face, especially people who are not natural entrepreneurs. And I know one of the big problems, this is a general problem in life people have, is we call it prioritizing. Prioritizing. It comes from the word priority. 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 
or prioritizing means it's kind of like ranking, right? One, two, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, right? So what it means is you identify what's most important, number one, first, and then what's second most important and what's third most important, right? It's figuring out which things, which areas, which actions are most important to focus on, to give the most information, to give the most attention to, to learn the most from, whatever, right? And which areas or things are less important, not so important. I'll give you an example, an easy, simple example to understand. Let's say uh, you're starting a business. Some people will worry about the name and the logo. Well, that's a super low priority. It's not important. Not important. Not important. It's nothing you want to spend a lot of time on. You don't want to focus on it for very long. It's a, it's a small, that's a small thing. So what are the big things? I'm going to give you two. There are two big things. Two things you need. And really in the beginning, you just focus on these two things. Don't worry about anything else. You got to get these two things correct. You've got to succeed with these two things. And then you have a business. Then you have a profitable business. Without these two things, you have nothing. Number one should be obvious. Number one is a product or a service. A product or a service. That's easy. (laughs) You got to have something to sell, basically, right? So either you do something for people and they pay you, that's a service, or you make something for people and they pay you for it and that's a product. So you do something or you make something uh, to sell. You need a product or a service or else you don't have a business. So that's number one. You want to have a great, useful product or service that people want. People have to want it and need it, hopefully. What else do you need? The second thing, the second high priority for you starting a business is marketing. And I include sales. I include marketing and sales together as one thing. Because marketing is just a form of selling, basically. So I would say marketing and sales, I just connect them together. So you have something, right? A product or service. You've got that, great. And number two now, you have to sell it to people. You've got to reach people. People have to find out about it. People have to know about it. And you have to convince them, you have to persuade them to buy it. That's it. Something to sell and then sell it. These two things. Everything else is lower priority. The logo, the name. I mean, yeah, you need to choose one, but just do it fast. Don't waste a lot of time on it. You know, the colors. Don't waste a lot of time on that. Uh, Even the accounting stuff. Not so important in the beginning. Taxes, not important in the beginning. I don't know. I'm trying to think of other things people get distracted by and focus on that are not so important. Oh, I'll give you another one. A lot of the technical things. (laughs) I have some bad experiences in this area. Where, like, for example, if you have a web business, some people get so focused on the the programming and the, the, uh, what's called the back end or the technical side of it, right? 
they get become obsessed with making that perfect. Again, much less important. Okay, you need something to sell and you've got to sell it. That's what you need to do. <laughs> Those two things. Everything else is less important. If you don't have something to sell, and if you don't sell it, you have no business. And if you have no business, all that other stuff doesn't matter. None of that other stuff matters at all. If you do have a business, if you are making money because you have a product or a service, and you're selling it, well, you can solve all the other problems quite easily. If you're making a profit and you're making money, you're doing well, you can pay someone to do your taxes. If you're making money and doing well, you can pay someone to improve the technical stuff. If you're making money, you're profitable, right? You can pay people to improve your logo and improve the design of your materials and all of that stuff. And yet, what, what I find is so, so, so many people, I, I don't know if it's an ex- if they, I don't know why they do it. I don't know if it's an excuse to avoid really starting a business, or they're just confused, but a lot, a lot, a lot of people, for example, when they start, I know a lot of people, for example, will, they'll just focus so much in the beginning on the structure of their business, right? The legal structure. Should I form a company? Uh, should I just own it? as an individual should it be a partnership Uh, and every country has different structures you can use the United States we've got what are called LLC's limited liability corporations then there are different kinds of corporations there's S Corp and C Corp and there are partnerships and there are you know individually owned companies and all this stuff and none of it's important None of it's important in the beginning. doesn't matter. And yet people will go take classes about that stuff and read books about it. And, oh, my God, which one should I do? And they, and they get it, make it all very complicated and worry about it. And it's just wasting time because it's a low priority. Okay? If you're making no money, it doesn't matter. Okay? If, you don't, if you're not making money, it doesn't matter if you're individually owned or a corporation or an or a S Corp or whatever else, whatever form you make, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about that stuff. Okay, you can change that anytime by just f- filing paperwork and paying a little money. So just do that when you're making money. Just start. Okay, your product or service, number one, needs to be great. Not perfect, but great. And number two, you've got to find a way to reach people and sell to them. This is it. That's the one-two punch of business. Those are the priorities, and that's it. Now, I'll tell you (laughs) another secret of business. Of those two, the marketing is the hardest one. The marketing and sales, that's the harder one. That's the one you're going to spend the most time on. And again, I know that this this is something most people don't realize before they start a business. People who are new often think they think that the product and service is the key thing. That that if they get that right, then everything else is going to be easy. But they don't realize that that's only the first step and that is not the most important one. It's not the most difficult one. 
The marketing and sales is the most difficult one. As long as you have a business, you will be focused on marketing and sales. That will be your number one big challenge. Yes, you have to figure out a good service or product. You do. Of course, you do need to do that. But once you figure that out, eh, you know, maybe you improve it with some time. But really, once you do it, it's a lot of work in the beginning. And then after that, not so much. But the marketing and sales part never ends. That's where the fight is. That's what decides if you succeed or fail long term. Even short term in, in, like in the first year. Again, so this is something that so few people understand when they start. They think, I'll just open a restaurant. And it's in a decent location, so that's all I need to do. The food's good. The restaurant looks nice. Um, so I open it, and I'm going to be successful. Wrong. No, no, no. Because I'm sure in your town there are many, many restaurants. You got to find a way to get people to come into your restaurant. It's new. They don't have the habit of going to your restaurant. Why should they come in there? They might, you know, a few people might walk by and be curious. But if you really want a strong business, you got to bring in lots and lots and lots and lots of people. How do you get them in the first time? How do you get them to come back a second time? How do you get them to come back a third time? A fourth time? How do you get them to make your restaurant part of their life, a habit? How do you do that? That's marketing and sales. Same with the website, even more online. I mean, uh, creating a website and publishing a website is easy. Uh, Anybody can do it and almost everybody does. That's the super easy part. (laughs) The hard part is how do you get people to visit your website, come back to your website again and again, and trust you enough to try your product or service and actually pay for it online. That is not so easy. As most people discover when they think, oh, I'll just start a web business. That'll be easy. And then they launch their website and nothing happens. Nothing happens at all. It's just like the restaurant people. So many restaurants, they open and then nothing really happens. And then a year later, they close. All right, let me give you some practical advice because this is all very general. I'm going to give you some practical marketing advice that is low risk. Super low risk, okay? It just requires your time. It doesn't really require much money. It requires time. This is a great way to start a business, especially part-time with low risk while you're still working a job. It's exactly how I started my business, okay? This is the, probably the safest way to start a business. And it's uh, the safest way that will give you the best chance of success. And what you do, it seems a little backwards at first, but what it, what the plan is, is that instead of doing your product or service first, you do your marketing first. You build the marketing for your business first before you have a product or a service. How does this work? It means what it means is you attract an audience 
you attract a group of people who like you who follow you you attract an audience a loyal audience an audience that likes you and trusts you you attract them first you build that first through marketing and then only after you have that only after you have an audience a loyal audience that loves you only then do you create a product or service for them and sell it to them can you see how this is much safer no risk just time it takes time to do this it takes some effort to do this but if you have a if you build your audience first and they're loyal to you and they like you and they trust you then it becomes really easy then to create a business that's the hardest part then all you have to do is make something you know they're gonna like and sell it to them they already like you they already trust you they already follow you so a lot of them are gonna buy your product boom you start immediately with a successful business this is what I did with Everless English and it worked very well how do you do it how do you do it I'll give you some very specific examples of this let's talk about real estate cause it looks like something very different than what I did imagine you want to do real estate as your business well, most people will just go out and buy a house and try to rent it. Or they'll go out and get a real estate license and try to sell houses. That's what most people do. That's the, that's the service or the product first. Here's what I recommend. Do the opposite. Instead, what you do, of course, you have to know what you're doing. You've got to learn about real estate first. But the first thing you do is you start a blog or a vlog it's a video blog, okay? Or a podcast. Or you write a book. Or you write articles. Or, or you do all of these things. Basically, you start writing about real estate to attract the audience you want. Let's, let's imagine you want to sell houses. So that's going to be your business. You're going to sell houses instead of renting them. So what you would do is to attract people like that, you start writing articles about how to buy a house. You talk about the laws, talk about the paperwork, talk about how to find a good deal when you're trying to look for a house or buy a house. And you write a bunch of articles and put them on your website. That's a blog. Next... You could start a video blog if you like if you like video or just start a podcast and again the same topic just sharing tips for free tips and strategies and methods for house shopping finding a great house which neighborhoods in your town are the best ones what are the good you know places to live where can you find good deals all of that stuff and you just keep doing that you right you do it an audio podcast or a video podcast and you write articles you could even write a book you could write you could write a kind of a short ebook on this topic where you again keep giving your expert advice about house hunting you could also do articles about moving uh, you could do reviews of moving companies movers you know that help people move which ones can be trusted which ones are not very good all that kind of stuff right so you're giving out great information about this topic of house buying and moving in your area and wherever you're trying to do business and by doing this with with time you will attract an audience you'll attract an audience and who will you attract you'll attract people who are thinking of buying a house 
you will also, in the search engines, you'll start to get some ranking on these topics, especially for your town, right? Maybe you have to learn a little bit about SEO, search engine optimization, and things like that. But you will ad- gradually attract an audience. You'll start reading books on marketing and online marketing, and this will help you attract a bigger audience on this topic. You see how this works? You don't have a product yet. You're not charging any money for anything yet. All you're doing is providing this great information, useful information to help people who are looking for houses, wanting to buy houses, thinking about buying a house in your town or your neighborhood or your area. But you see what you're doing by doing this. You're attracting an audience and you're also proving, you're showing that you are an expert in this area because you're providing useful, good information on this topic. And you can do all of this part-time while you're still working a full-time job or while you're at home with the kids. So there's no risk. There's no money risk, no financial risk. It's pretty cheap to do all this stuff. None of it costs much money. Having a, a, a blog is cheap and a podcast is super cheap. You can do videos free on you know YouTube and Bit dot tube and bit shoot and you just build up your audience you build up your audience you build up your expertise right being an expert in this area and you will get followers who like and trust you then after you do this i don't know it might take you a few months to do this it might take you a year to do this whatever but then you have an audience you have a nice uh, site full of information then you start your product or your service. Let's say your service is you're just a real estate agent, so you're just going to help people buy houses. So this, at this point, you can put, a, put something on your uh, website to get email subscribers. <laughs> so, right? You could, in fact, you could do this right from the beginning, just while you're building your audience, your podcast. Ask people for their emails and send them some extra information. Send them some extra articles or something. Tips for buying a house. So now you have an email list. And as soon as you're ready to actually start your business, you just send out emails to your list. And you tell them, hey, I'm a real estate agent. And if you are looking for a house now, please contact me. And give, you know, put your phone number in the email. Say, call me and we can talk about what you're looking for. Boom. You'll, you'll get phone calls. Boom. You've started your business right away. From the first day, you will have customers. From day one, you'll have people calling you up. That's a strong start to your business. So, boom, right away, as soon as you start the real business, as soon as you launch your service, in this case, real estate agent... You have potential customers and, of course, it's your job then to change them into full customers. You got to sell them, but you help them find a house. You sell the house. You get the commission. Ask them for recommendations. Do they know any friends who are also looking for houses? Do they know anybody else who's looking for a house? If not, you know, tell them to 
give a link to your website, ask them for a review or a recommendation. You're, you're boom, you're, you're off, you're started, you're going. You've got a business. From day one, it's going. From day one, you've got customers and you're making money. That's how you do it. And then you just keep going. You keep going and building on that, building on it, building on it, building on it. And growing and growing. This is how you do it. See, what most people do, they do the opposite, right? They go, they get their real estate license, and then they just start, <laughs> you know, praying, basically. They're clueless. They don't have any audience at all. Uh, maybe they take out, they put an ad in a paper or something. Uh, if you're looking for a house, call me. Right? It's a very hard way to get started. And they end up spending a good amount of money, a, lar- a large amount of money on ad- advertising and things like that. And uh, then they're just hoping that they're trying to learn this while they're spending money, while they have expenses. That's dangerous. But if you build an audience in this way, that's without advertising, then you can get started. You got money coming in. You got some extra money. Once you have customers, you got a little extra money. Then you can start to do advertising also, but you start carefully, but you've got extra money to use. So while you're learning how to do advertising, you, you still have a business already. You can start small. You're not under a lot of pressure. Right? So you start with your audience first, building an audience first. You start with the marketing first. And then the product or service comes after that. It's a great way to do it. And that's for any business, any business. You could even do this as, I, I can imagine how, to, how you could do this with a restaurant. Uh, there's some really creative people who will do this. Uh, and there are a few different ways you could do it for a restaurant. One way you could do it is uh, some chefs uh, and restaurateurs, people who want to open a restaurant, what they will do is they do pop-up restaurants. This is where they will basically do parties. They'll do parties somewhere in a city. And they will collect people's emails or Twitter followers, whatever. And they'll do a, a, a party somewhere. And, it'll be, and they will, of course, make the food for the party. And they'll do some kind of marketing or promotions to get people to come to this party. And then people will come. And at the party, they, you know, of course, they cook them great food and they make it really fun. And they'll charge some money so they don't lose money. And most of all, they get people to sign up for their email list or their social media or something. And then the party's done. But now they have some followers. So then they, they can send them recipes. Uh, they can send them more information about their plans. And they could maybe keep doing these little pop-up dinners at different locations around the city. What are they doing? They're building up customers. They're building up potential customers, right? They're marketing first with low risk. They're not opening a full restaurant that they got to pay rent every single month. They don't have a bunch of employees they've got to pay every single day. They don't have a bunch of legal costs. They don't have any of that stuff. They're just doing it party, 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 maybe once a month, maybe a couple times a month, whatever. But as they do it, they're building up their list of customers, people who like their food, who are interested in them, right? Well, now they have a 
a whole big group, an audience of potential customers. Now, as a next step, they could just try to open a restaurant. That's still risky, but what a lot of people will do, then the next step, step two, they'll open a, a food truck. They'll buy a food truck because it's much cheaper than doing a full restaurant. They'll get a little food truck and they'll continue with their menu, but now they've got an everyday business and they park the food truck. Sometimes they'll park in the same space every day. Uh, sometimes they'll rent a little parking space somewhere in some cities. Uh, sometimes they move around and they just uh, they send out tweets or to people to let them know where they're going to be. But either way, see, they start again, but now it's, again, lower risk. It's lower cost. A food truck is cheaper than a full restaurant, usually. And even when they start their food truck business, right, they already have customers because they've been doing these parties. So they start sending out emails to their list of customers. They send out tweets to their followers and they let them know, now we have a food truck. We are going to be here every day at lunchtime. Come get lunch with us at this location. And boom, they've got customers. They get, they've got a much better chance to have a successful food truck business. The food truck is fairly low cost. They continue this for a while getting even more and more customers, growing naturally, building their social media, building their email list, building the local people who know them from the food truck, who like their food, growing their audience bigger and bigger, more and more loyal, more and more excited about them. And then finally, sometimes, they start a full restaurant some just continue with the food truck because they're making really good money at the food truck but if some of them will then finally launch their full restaurant but you see what an what a huge advantage they would have right because when they start their restaurant they're not unknown they have all these people who already know about them they have all these customers who have been getting food from them for months or possibly even a few years they already have a nice audience that likes them, that's buying from them. So when they open that restaurant, boom, immediately, first day, they've got a lot of customers. First week, first month, they're making money. They've got customers. See how much more powerful that is that compared to some restaurant that just opens up. They've just blindly, they just open up a restaurant. Nobody knows them. Nobody knows anything about them. That's, that's tough. And they're under huge pressure on the first day and nobody's coming in. Now they're losing money. That's a much riskier, a much riskier way to do it. The way to do it with parties and then food trucks and, you know, that step-by-step -step way, building the audience first, marketing first, is lower risk. It's a smarter way to do it. So you can use this strategy with almost any business. Marketing first, building the audience first, growing in that way naturally, and then the product or service. I'd like you to join my VIP program. I told you I've got exciting stuff coming for VIP members, including these Matrix movie lessons, which is, that's going to be fun. You'll learn vocabulary, you'll learn phrases, maybe a little pronunciation. 
course, you always learn grammar with me, but you do it naturally. I don't talk about grammar rules. You just learn it naturally. You're going to get all that extra stuff with my Matrix movies and the VIP program when you join my VIP program. Of course, that's just extra. The Matrix stuff is extra. You get normally every month two groups of lessons. I call them sets, lesson sets. Each lesson set has four audios, sometimes more. And that's the the real everyday training to teach you to speak fluently, to think in English, to master English at the highest possible level. All that's in my VIP program. You know where to join my VIP program. You go to effortlessenglishclub.com. Join my VIP program today. Join. Commit. Do it. Finally, just do it. Speak English fluently, powerfully, confidently, effortlessly. Join my VIP program at effortlessenglishclub.com. Get those audio lessons. Learn with your ears. Learn deeply. Join my VIP program at effortlessenglishclub.com. That's effortlessenglishclub.com. Hope you're enjoying the new book for the book club. I am. I love it, as you know. Love, love, love it. Very, very enthusiastic about this topic. If I could, I would persuade you and everyone in the world to do homeschooling. (laughs) That's one of my missions in life. Will I ever accomplish the mission? Probably not. Not everybody. But I hope to persuade as many people as possible, as many families as possible, to homeschool, 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 because this is how we break the matrix. This is how we break the matrix. As I was saying at the beginning of the show today, the schools and the media, this is the the two parts of the matrix. And people believe the obvious lies of the media. Why? Because they've been trained in schools to obey. They've been trained in schools to accept the surface, to accept what they're told. The schools prepare their minds. The schools prepare their minds for the brainwashing. And then as adults, it's the media that does the brainwashing. See, it's the one-two. If we... break the school systems then we'll get a generation or generations of children of people growing up to be independent learners generations of children and people asking questions generations of people actively 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 looking for answers asking questions doing their own research not just accepting what some idiot on TV tells them but looking for themselves, learning for themselves. Curious, independent learners. And they're not going to just believe everything they're told by those fake people on the news. That's how we break it. People believe that idiotic stuff, those obvious lies, because they were so programmed in the school systems. That's the whole point of the school systems. 
prepare people for that propaganda. So that's why I'm so, so, so enthusiastic about this homeschooling. I'm going to give you the easy, 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 easy way to homeschool to start. Because I know people are afraid of it. I know people have been so programmed about schools. And oh my God, if my child doesn't go to school, they'll, how will they learn? And oh, it's so difficult to, it would be so difficult to do it. I have no idea how I would homeschool. I've already said how this is just uh, irrational fear because the schools do a terrible job. Most school teachers don't know much of anything. They, they have very little training. They don't know what they're doing. They're, they're not effective. It's easy to do a better job than teachers. That's why homeschoolers perform better. They get better test scores. They, they're smarter in every way. But anyway, I still know there's a fear. It's the fear of the unknown. What do I do? How do I start? So I'm going to give you the, the easy, 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 easiest way to start homeschooling. To start. Because I know the starting is like most things, just like with the business, just like with investing. It's the first few steps that are the scariest, that seem the most difficult. After you make the first few steps, ah, then you relax. You realize, oh, this isn't so tough, actually. This is okay. Well, that's not so scary. And then you relax and everything becomes much easier. So I'm going to help you with the first step because the first step scares people. I know. I know. I know. So here's the first step. You want the easy, easy, easy way to do it? Fine. Take your kids out of school and just get a full curriculum. Get a full homeschooling curriculum. Just pay for it. Buy one. Okay, there are many. You can just, you can do... Uh, you can do searches online. Okay, there's so many of them. Homeschool curriculum. You know, package homeschool curriculum. Online homeschool curriculum. There are many, 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 many that give you everything. Every single thing. They give you books. They give you lessons. They give you uh, activities. They, you just go step by step. You just follow it like a recipe. You don't even have to think. Just do it. Just follow along. That's it. It's all given to you. Easy. All the lessons are planned out for you. Everything. Easy, 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 easy. Here's the good thing too. They're, they're not expensive. And there are different kinds. There are online programs. These are probably the easiest of all. Online homeschooling curriculums. I did a quick search. The pricing is pretty cheap. $30 a month. Up to maybe $50, $60 a month. That's not much. I mean, look, compare that to a private school. Man, I mean, that's, that's, that's nothing. You know, let's say an average, $40 a month. That's nothing. That's nothing for your child, for a whole curriculum, for your child's education. If you sent them to a, a, a decent private school, you know how much money you'd be paying? Thousands of dollars a month, possibly. So $40 a month. So inexpensive. Boom. Simple. Y you do a little research. Find one that you like that fits your values. Right? What you think is important. Or try one. If you don't like it, switch to another one. Y y whatever. There's so many. That's the great thing. You've got choices. So you sign up. You go into their website. There's everything you need. Everything you need every single day. Just follow it. That's it. Done. 
Easy, easy, easy. If you prefer something offline, not on the internet, no, well, there's many you can order. You can order them online, and they'll send you. They'll send you in the mail. They'll send you the books and the, the lessons and everything, right? Paper books and paper lessons. And they're also not expensive. It's not that expensive. There are many, many, many that are very reasonably priced. So you could do that if you like. And just follow along. Ron Paul, like, I, I, if I was doing this, I'm not going to, I'm going to do, do it myself. I don't need this. But if I was going to do a pre-packaged curriculum that was planned out, everything, I would probably do one from Ron Paul. I like his. Ron Paul is... Uh, his curri- curriculum is really focused on sort of the traditional American... Uh, economics, politics, and values. From what I've seen of his curriculum, it looks very nice. Like a, the kind of traditional old American values, which is really great. I'd probably choose that. But there are many choices. This is what's great about homeschooling. What if you're religious? What if you're a very uh, Christian person and you want a Christian education for your children? Well, you're not going to get that in school unless you go to probably an expensive Christian private school. That's, that is one choice, of course. But even then, you got to be careful. Look at the news, what's happening about all these <laughs> churches and the abuse and just the horrible stuff that's going on. you got to have to do your research and make sure that those kind of people are not running that private school. Even just because they say they're Christian doesn't mean they're good people. You still got to look, right? A lot of evil people hide behind a mask of good. If you really want a guaranteed um, Christian education for your children, you you get a Christian curriculum, homeschooling curriculum. Again, there are many. For Christian, there's tons of them. Okay, offline or online, where they bring in Christian values, Christian teachings, religious teachings as part of the program. And of course, since you're homeschooling, you're observing everything yourself. You're kind of the manager of everything, so you can make sure it fits your values and what you want to teach. That's the best way to guarantee that your children get that kind of education, if that's what you want. Of course, if you're Muslim, you could do the same thing with a Muslim homeschooling curriculum. If you're a Buddhist, you could do the same thing with one that was focused on Buddhism or Hindu. Or if you're not religious, you know, like I said, like the Ron Paul one is not religious. That's more about, uh, it's more of a uh, one that's focused on uh, what we call civic, meaning just the, the kind of traditional values of of the American Republic and freedom and the U.S. Constitution and uh, the kind of the kind of education children used to get in America uh, before all the crazy stuff started. This is what's so great about it. This is this is you know I, I say a lot of bad stuff about the schools, but the positive side of homeschooling is look the choices because it's it now see you're putting the power not the power's not some government person who's trying to control and uh, brainwash you or your children or some company somewhere who wants to your kids to think how they think. 
No, instead it's putting the, it's right. We're decentralizing the power of education and putting it back into each and every house, each and every apartment, right? Giving it back to each and every parent. The family becomes the center of education. It's the family that decides. And each family can choose something a little bit different to fit their values, what's important to them, to you, to you. There's so much flexibility in this approach is what I love about it. Yeah, I think every family is going to realize, of course, the children need to learn to read and they got to be able to do some, the, the basic math and write decently, you know, the big three common skills. But after that, there's a whole lot of flexibility, especially in the area of teaching values and philosophy and tradition and all of that. And the good news is, you know, if you're, you know, someone like me, I am, I don't need all that stuff. I don't need, uh, I'm going to just do it myself. But, and you might decide to do that later when you become more comfortable. But I realize in the beginning, if you're not comfortable, just go buy a curriculum or just try a few. I think some of them let you do samples for free or you try one for a month, see how you like it. And if it seems good and the ki- your kids seem to like it and it seems okay, just keep going with it. Keep going with it. You can always change it later. I think probably what will happen is in the beginning, you, c- you could do, do a curriculum that's very structured like this. Just get a prepaid curriculum, a full curriculum, right? And they've got them for all ages. Doesn't matter if your kid's uh, 16 years old or six. Doesn't matter. Or if you've got several kids, of course, each one would be doing a different level. But you just put them into the program, online or offline, whatever you want, whichever one you choose that looks good, and just start doing it. If your kids have been in school, they're used to that kind of school environment and very structured, then this this can also be a good transition because it'll feel kind of like school. It'll be very organized and structured. And maybe in the beginning, that's good for them. Uh, if you just hit them with total freedom in the beginning, they might not handle it very well. <laughs> and you might not handle it well. You might need that structure too to be comfortable and make sure you feel like the kids are getting what they need. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I recommend starting that way. You could do your first full year that way with your kids, just following a prepackaged, organized curriculum that you buy that is you know highly recommended, that fits your values. As I said, they're not very expensive. They're not very expensive at all. And there's some really good ones out there. You do that. What I think you'll probably do is then after your first year, you'll get comfortable. And you're like, huh, okay. Well, we did that whole year. It went well. The kids learned. The kids are all doing great. I'm comfortable now. I understand how this works. And then at that point, you can become more flexible. You could start to... You can look at that curriculum you're getting, for example, and you might... You might decide, oh, there's a couple things here that are not important to us. We're just going to skip that part. And we're going to do something else instead. Right? You can start to customize it. Right? You can still use the that program curriculum if you f- feel you need it, but you, you begin to customize it. You can modify it a little bit. You can, um, you know, not do a few things or get rid of a, a few things that you think are not important or less important. You can add in a few other things that you think are important to you. 
like you could combine some things from something else right you, you become the the cook like you're a cook making a recipe and you can start to combine different ingredients at that point I think that's a great second step the first step is just follow the recipe you buy a recipe and you follow it exactly and you'll get a nice result and then you're comfortable with that you're getting better your kids are getting comfortable with it step two you become like a, a chef now you can start to play with different ingredients you can still use different things you find but now you're playing around with them a little bit like a like a chef in training starting to learn to make your own recipes and then if you like you might you don't have to but you might as a third step finally just just get your own ingredient you know you say I don't need we don't need these curriculum anymore we can just get books from the library we can just design the whole thing ourselves we know what we're doing now and that might be the third step where you just become completely creative with it and decide but you don't have to do that that third step is not necessary I mean that's my choice that's what I'll do but that just fits me you don't have to do that you you don't have to do any of these steps you know you could just do the first one only you could just if you have a curriculum and it's uh, pre-planned and you're paying for it and you're happy with it and the kids are doing well you can just follow that let them just follow that curriculum until they graduate till they finish and go to college or start their own business or whatever they're going to do also totally fine lots of families do that and they're very uh, happy with that also this is see, it's the opposite of what schools are in schools no choice at all zero choice none right zero flexibility your kid must go to school they must go at a certain time they can't leave until another time they're put into a class they can't choose their teachers they can't choose the books they read they can't none of it you don't get to choose any of that as the parent you don't choose the books your kids read in school you don't choose their textbooks you don't choose their teachers you don't choose their schedule or their hours you don't choose when they get to go on vacation you have zero choice and zero control it's the exact opposite with the homeschooling total choice total choice for you completely flexible you choose all of those things and because of that you can change your mind at any time fantastic 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 so I encourage you if you have some doubts I understand try this first way to do it just do some research and get a pre-packaged curriculum just pay for one that you think looks good just get it and you can follow it step by step by step and hey, if you get the first one and you don't like it, just cancel and try another one, okay? Because there, there are hundreds of them. Okay, you'll, you'll eventually find one you like. Just do that. It's a great way to start. Okay, final topic. Football season. Almost here. Next Saturday, Georgia Bulldogs play their first team. I'm trying to remember, what is, what is the name of that first team again? I can't remember the name of the first team. Austin P. I think it is. <laughs> the reason I don't know the name of this first team is I mentioned in earlier that the Georgia Bulldogs' first football game is against this some small school. This is very common in college football that the big schools will play a small school the first game. It's like a warm-up. It's like a warm-up game. It lets them 
uh, sort of get used to playing games before they f- go against a tough team. So the first game is going to going to be uh, against a small team. They're probably going to win easily against in that game. I hope so. <laughs> uh, and it's, I believe it's Saturday, September 1st. Georgia Bulldogs' first game. Go dogs! In an earlier episode, I talked about offense, the offensive positions in American football. Today I'm going to talk about defense, right? In defense, of course, the defense is the side that does not have the ball. There are, each team has 11 players on the field, right? One team has the ball, one at a time. One team has the ball, that's the offensive team. And the other side has no ball. They're trying to stop them. That's the defense. So the offense will line up, right? The, the, before they start the play, the offense lines up. They've got the ball. They're getting ready to start. And the defense will also line up against them on the other side. Now, the defense has three kinds of positions, three basic positions. Basically, I mean, really basically, most defenses have three layers or three lines, three types of positions. The first is called the line, the defensive line. This is obvious. The defensive line, they, they line up <laughs> directly in front of the ball. So if you remember with offense, there's also an offensive line. The offensive line's at the front of the offense. They're lined up at the front of the offense. Their job is to block the defense. Well, the defensive line, they line up exactly on the other side of the ball. They're they're at the front of the defense, the defensive line. The defensive line, their job is to break through the offensive line, right? They're the first level of defense. These guys are usually really big. These are usually the biggest guys on the defense. They're really, really big and strong. And their job is to push the offense back. Push them back and break through and get the guy with the ball. That's the first line, the defensive line. The second layer of defense are behind the line. They're called line backers. Ah, well that makes sense. Line backers means back behind the line. The line backers. They're the middle level of the defense. Now the line backers, they are usually the meanest, the toughest, the meanest guys on the defense. These guys are incredible athletes. They're both big and strong and fast. They're fast, big, and strong. A combination of all three. These are, I would say, usually, not always, but usually for the defense, they're the best athletes. They're just a scary combination of big, strong, and fast. And they tend to be very, very aggressive. Now, their job is, they they have kind of the, um, several jobs. They're the most flexible part of the defense sometimes they some of them will try to run and break through the line and get the player who has the ball on the offense sometimes if the offense is trying to pass sometimes the linebackers will defend against the pass 
and sometimes they mix it up and the strategies can be very complicated sometimes so it's hard to say but in general the linebackers are very aggressive the third layer of defense the third kind of player is called the secondary the secondary they are mostly uh they mostly defend against passes. Mostly they're trying to stop the pass. These guys are usually smaller. They're not as big in terms of muscle. They can be tall, but they're not as huge. And for the secondary, they're, it's most important that they are fast. They tend to be fast, very fast, right? Because they are trying to prevent passes, block passes. And to do this, they cover, they cover the offense, the wide receivers, right? Remember on offense, they, we have the receivers, they catch the passes. So the secondary, they cover the wide receivers. You know, in, in soccer, in soccer, they have something called marking a man, right? A defensive player will mark a man. It means he just, he's uh, defending against one man on the other team. He's following him around trying to prevent that player from uh, getting the ball or passing or scoring. He's marking him. Well, that's basically what uh, the secondary does for American football. There are actually two kinds of secondary players. One's called a safety and one's called cornerback. Cornerback, they play on the outside. They're the ones they mark. They mark the wide receivers. Right? So it's the same idea. They will cover. We, they, we don't say mark in football, American football. We say cover. But it's the same idea. The uh, cornerbacks will cover the wide receiver. They will line up in front of them. And when the play starts, the wide receivers will start running so they can catch the ball. And the cornerbacks follow them and try to cover them so that they can't catch the ball. Their job is to prevent them from catching the ball. Or if they do catch the ball, then they tackle them and throw them on the ground. So cornerbacks, they're the secondary players that are line up on the outside. They cover the wide receivers. And then the safeties, they're the ones that line up deep. They're kind of at the back of the defense. And their job is to defend against the big, long passes, mostly. Defend against the big, long passes. They help the cornerbacks cover against the pass. Now, of course, with the uh, secondary players, they do help. They do help against the uh, running plays also, but that's not their first job usually. So that's how it works. I think you kind of ha- you should understand all the positions now, right? The game starts with a kickoff. One team kicks the ball, the other receives it. The receiving team catches the ball. The guy tries to run. They tackle him. Now the play is finished. Next. New players come onto the field. The offensive team, they send their offense on the field with 11 players. And the other team sends their defense on the player on the field rather with 11 players they line up against each other the offense is called hiking the ball they start the play right the guy in front has the ball he gives it to the quarterback that starts the play everybody starts moving the quarterback usually has two basic choices either 
or the offense has two basic choices. They're going to run or pass. If they run, he gives it to somebody to run. That guy runs. The offensive players try to block, right? They try to push the defense back so the guy running can go forward. The defense tries to do the opposite. They try to break through and catch the guy with the ball. When they catch him, they tackle him, bring him to the ground, and now the play is over, it's finished, and they start again. That's it. So they they start again, they line up again, let's say. The offense, they hike the ball again, right? The center, the guy in the... The front lineman gives the ball to the quarterback. The play starts again. Everyone starts moving. Let's say this time they try to pass. So the quarterback, he drops back. He steps back. And he throws the ball. What is the offensive line, the offensive players, are trying to protect the quarterback, right? They, They block to try to protect the quarterback. Some of the other offensive players, they run forward so they can catch the ball. And what is the defense doing with the pass play? With the defense, the defensive linemen, the guys at the front, they're pushing forward. They want to break through and tackle the quarterback. They want to, it's called a sack. It's called a sack. If they can get to the quarterback before he throws it, it's called a sack. So they try to break through the line and tackle the quarterback before he can throw. They want to sack him. But if they can't, he throws the ball. What are the other defensive players doing? Well, the cornerbacks and the secondary in general, those fast players, they're covering the receivers. Right? They're trying to stay close to the offensive players so they can't catch the ball. Maybe the linebackers are doing that. Sometimes the linebackers also try to sack the quarterback. It depends. The linebackers are very flexible. But he throws the ball to a receiver. If the receiver catches the ball, then they, then they just tackle him, and then they start again. Or maybe he throws the ball to a receiver, but the defense hits the ball. They block it. And that's called incomplete, not complete. It's an incomplete pass. It's a failed pass. Either way, the play finishes, they line up, and they start again. That's it. That's how football works. That's the basics right there. The offense is trying to go forward, forward, forward until they get to the end of the field to score points. And the defense, of course, is trying to stop them from doing that and take the ball away. So then they can try to score points. And with that, really, that's the basic understanding. That's how it works. And then it's just back and forth, of course. They change during the game. uh, Offense and defense, you know. Back and forth, back and forth. And, of course, whoever scores the most points by the end, they're the winner. Okay, so go dogs! First game coming up this weekend. College football season begins. Georgia Bulldogs playing their first game against an easy team. After that, the games will get tougher. Learn English with me. Join my VIP program. Join my VIP program. Speak English fluently, confidently, powerfully, effortlessly. 
think in English. Think in English. That's how you speak fluently and effortlessly because you're thinking in English. You're not translating in your head. You're not thinking about grammar rules. The words are just coming out because you're thinking in English. Join my VIP program at EffortlessEnglishClub.com EffortlessEnglishClub.com